highway claims and the state of our roads. This is Wheel Life. Legal reflections on vulnerable road users. The podcast where two experienced lawyers, who also happen to be enthusiastic cyclists, chat their way through topics concerning cyclists and other vulnerable road users from a legal and insurance perspective. Hello, I'm Emily Formby of 39 Essex Chambers. And I'm Caroline Hall of DAC Beechcroft Solicitors. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about highways and claims involving bikes and the state of our roads. So, Emily, this is uh, your area, highways. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel discussed... that's being dumped on my lap. Thanks for that. No. Not at all, not at all. I do <laughs> uh, bike claims on roads as well, but uh, this is uh, your specific area. So, um, how, how do you want to do this uh, talk about bikes going into potholes, highway um, responsibility? How, how, do you, how should we go through this? Yeah, well, I think maybe the way to start is to have a look at highways and have a look at the way in which um, the duty of care arises, um, because it's, it's one of those areas which is very much bound by statute. So a lot of the time when we're doing injury claims, we're looking at common law and the development through case law. But this is one that um, has a good grounding in statutory law, which is the now quite old Highways Act 1980. And the two key um, sections are Section 41, which determines the duty of the highway um, and the highway authority. And we'll come on to what that might mean in a minute. And Section 58, which provides a defence. So to start off with, the duty is set out in Section 41 which is the authority who are, for the time being, the highway authority for a highway maintainable at the public expense, are under a duty to maintain the highway. Now, there's the odd caveat to that, but broadly, that's the duty of care. And there's an add-in that they have a particular duty, as far as reasonably practicable, uh, that to ensure that there isn't uh, danger due to snow and ice. So that's the outline of the duty of care, uh, and that's the uh, benchmark that claimants have to cross. So, uh, sorry to interrupt there. No, no. So when we're talking about claimants, um, today we're obviously, we're not going to look at um, cars, we're mainly going to look at cyclists um, and potentially e-scooters in the future. Um, do you see, does that diff, uh, does the duty of the highways authority change depending on who they're looking at, or is it the same duty for everyone? Well, the duty doesn't change, but of course, the way in which it's delivered may change because it's an absolute duty to maintain. But what maintain means can change by the nature of the road, uh, by whether it's a motorway, for example, or whether it's a byway and a country way. Um, and of course, the first thing is it does have to be a highway that's been adopted. Uh, so it won't tend to be something like a footpath or a bridleway. Um, we're really here concentrating in the claims arise uh, from what we'd call um, sort of tarmac roads that are discernible surfaces um, uh, that uh, rather than just uh, muddy paths and potholes winding through woods and so forth. Um, so the concept of a highway, um, which has lots and lots of law relating to it, but in this context is a highway that is adopted. So road adoption is basically a term uh, used to describe um, where a highway authority, generally a local authority or a council, has taken ownership um, of a private street um, and effectively um, has a duty to maintain it. Now, maintaining doesn't mean that they have to improve it. So that's one of the 
reasons why footpaths and bridleways don't tend to trouble uh, local authorities or indeed give rise to claims. Um, but if you have a road that's been finished or built to a certain standard, uh, then the duty is to maintain it to that standard. So if I uh, if my road hasn't been had anything done to it for 30 years, um, but it's actually in a decent condition, um, but road standards have changed, the council don't have to do anything about it? Well, not really. And of course, you have to also know whether or not it's a private road so actually around the country there are all sorts of roads that are privately owned or that are on estates or that are um, uh, gated or so forth and if they're not adopted um, by uh, by the public authority then there's no duty to do anything to them at all uh, so it's got to be maintainable at public expense but once it's there uh, then it does it is a matter of maintaining it rather than improving it um, although that said um, there have been cases where uh, something has been added to the surface of the road and failure to manage that uh, has been a breach of the duty um, of care. So you can have a situation uh, where there was a sort of lump of concrete, for example, that uh, 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 was um, on top of the road surface um, and that uh, led to um, a, a breach of the duty of care because that is something... Uh, that that had had come onto it uh, and was there, but essentially it is about looking at um, the maintenance of that highway and keeping it up to the standard that it was. And as I said, that will be different depending um, on the status of the road. So there is a um, uh, there is a government. Um, there's a list of, of roads, A roads, B roads, highways, uh, motorways, and all of them have, have slightly different standards uh, uh, that they have to be kept to uh, and that they have to be maintained to. And that d duty of maintenance is uh, what comes out when uh, we look at the uh, defence, uh, which is set out in section 58. Uh, so that section 58 defence uh, is the... Once you've proved uh, that there was a defect, and that's the first thing that a claimant has to prove, if they prove that, uh, then you come on to uh, the defence. So we'll come back to what the defect may be in a minute, uh, but just to let you know, um, the second half of the claim, or the second half of the duty, is set out in the Section 58 defence. So the local authority can show that it's a defence to prove that the authority has taken such care as in all the circumstances was reasonably required to secure that the part of the highway to which the action relates was not dangerous for traffic. Now you'll notice there's a few words in there which uh, uh, can lead to interpretation, which of course means litigation by another form. Um, but such care as in all the circumstances is the kind of key one about which there has grown up to be a body um, of, of jurisprudence. And of course, uh, that the action relating not dangerous for traffic, um, that's something that in our uh, particular interest with vulnerable road users and bikes and e-scooters um, is something that has developed over time. So actually, it should never be questionable whether it's safe for bikes or not. Whenever you have something that's traffic on a highway that you might expect to be there, then it should be accommodated within the highway's duty, the highway authority's duty to maintain. But the reality is that it has slowly developed over the years, that that duty has come to incorporate the wider range of road users, which includes our vulnerable users, our cyclists and our e-scooters. 
Now, you were telling me something about the development of e-scooters and their, their, the way they're being purposed to cope with highways. Yep, that's right. Um, we haven't got on to yet how you work out what is a defect and what's actionable um, in terms of the depth of the defect in the road. Um, obviously, the standard um, that most councils use and it's it's kind it's accepted practice is that it's 40 millimetres. Um, it can be anywhere between 15 and 50 millimetres. But in terms of the e-scooters that, go, that are being uh, launched around the country at the moment for the e-scooter trials, they've specifically been tested that they can go through a defect of 40 to 50 millimetres without a problem. Um, so you will see that they generally have chunkier wheels than you might get on a privately owned e-scooter, which is obviously one of the things that the government will be considering just um, as a result of the trials going into next year when um, if well when and if e-scooters are legalized looking at their wheels um, and making sure that um, they hit a certain standard so they can go along the road um, but going back to what I was just saying about the 40 millimeter um, intervention level um, obviously that's we know what that means in terms of highways inspectors do you want to explain that a bit more yeah so that's really interesting and I'll come back to the wheels in a moment so that the, the the, the point about the defect is um, having to show that there was something on the road that represents a failure to maintain. And essentially, 40 millimetres is the top level of tarmac. That's, that essentially is the depth to which, um, when you lay tarmac on roads, that it comes out as. So uh, below that will be effectively losing the top surface of the road. That won't, without any more mean that if the top surf the top dressing is absent from the road it will be a failure to maintain or it will be actionable uh, because of course you can have situations when um roadworks are being carried out the top dressing's been taken off um, and you're left with that sort of screed underneath but there are signs and there is you know notices up saying that work's been carried out and then it's still um, acceptable for people to use it but essentially that's the depth um, at which um, when the highway authority are inspecting the roads they are required to intervene and they have different intervention levels and they have different intervention speeds but essentially if something um, is at that uh, 40 millimeter intervention level they have a requirement to uh, mend it straight away that's something that has to be dealt with can't be left um, and so you quite often see highway authority and inspectors going around uh, with pots of uh, sort of hot tarmac and they literally will splodge it into um, top dressing if there's, a, if there's a hole or a crack or a defect um, to mend it as they go um, so that it's not left in that dangerous way and then put in a chit or an order uh, to ensure that it's mended um, uh, thereafter. Um, and of course, actually, it's been held that leaving it over a weekend is a breach of duty. You can't find it on a Friday uh, and, and come back on the next working day on a Monday uh, and leave it over the weekend. Um, you have to do something about it generally to fill it um, or at a pinch to make sure that it is marked off um, sufficiently so uh, that road users can avoid it. So... Just in terms of um, obviously what you were just saying, if you find um, if a highways inspector when he's going around finds a defect of 40 millimetres, it can't wait over the weekend. I think we've all been cycling out on country roads and seen thing seen defects that we think are quite a bit bigger than 40 millimetres. Um, 
obviously that comes down to the classification of the road um, more than anything else, as in that defect could have been there for six months and it might be there for another six months before it's picked upon inspection. Um, do you want to um, explain a bit more about the classification of roads and why if you find that defect in the main street in Bristol, it will be dealt with quite swiftly, whereas if it's um, found out on the country road out where I live, it's probably going to be hang around for quite a bit. Well, of course, there are different classifications for roads. There's the, there's the entire trunk road system, uh, which is dealt with uh, by the national authority. And, and then there's the local roads that are dealt with by all of the local authorities. And that, that those are really the ones where we tend to see the claims arising. Um, and, and the classification um, of the roads uh, will depend on how much they're used, will depend on what the duty is in order to uh, fill them in. Um, and so, of course, the, the 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 A roads and those roads that have the most traffic on them um, have the higher duty of care in order to ensure that they are safe. Uh, uh, and the B roads and the C roads that are uh, less commonly used uh, will have a lower duty of inspection. So they may have a duty of inspection every six months or every year, as opposed to a weekly basis for the main traffic and thoroughfare. Um, and so it will determine both the number of inspections that have to take place, the regularity with which they have to take place. Um, uh, and then, of course, the intervention level will be the same. But it's right to say that within a year on a country road, we can see with a bit of uh, with, a, with a bit of damage to the top level of the screed, with rain and wash, that could become a significant defect over the course of a year. But it won't necessarily uh, be a breach of duty if there has not been, um, if they have complied uh, with their inspection requirements. There's also the area there that if you are out and about and you see a defect that you think, as you said, is a serious defect on a country road or whatever else, you can report it to your council. And if they get a report and they de then don't go out and inspect or do anything about that report, um, obviously there's an issue then. Absolutely. And there are lots of different ways in which people can uh, report. Um, so obviously you can go through the council, uh, but there are also things like Fix My Street, which are websites in order to uh, report or view or discuss local problems. Uh, or Cycling UK has Fill That Hole, uh, which is a tool to report a pothole to the relevant authority. So or basically it's an interactive map uh, which enables you in pretty much in real time, to draw to the attention of the authority uh, problems that arise. And I think it's important not to underestimate uh, what a problem this can be for cyclists, because as vulnerable road users, there are a number of things, or a number of reasons and ways in which potholes represent a particular danger. The first is obvious. Uh, most bikes don't have suspension, or if they do have suspension, it's nothing like a car. Uh, but going into a hole, hitting a pothole, can in and of itself be enough to bring someone off their bike. And quite often, particularly when it is a defect that's arisen um, in the top dressing of, of tarmac, um, the, it's, not a, it's not like a puddle. It's not a sloping hole. It can have a very sharp edge. Um, and so it can be sufficient to stop your bike dead um, go into a hole, stop your bike dead, and you come straight over the top. So that's the first danger. The second danger is, on seeing a pothole, cyclists will obviously try and avoid it. Um, and that could lead to uh, swerving, um, and that in itself can bring an accident, because the reality is, if you see something that's a problem in the road, and the instinct is to swerve, you may not have actually had time, um, or indeed, um, in that sort of fight and flight, even actually thought to look and see if it's safe to you know, relocate or move yourself across the road. 
So there can be other concomitant um, dangers of trying to avoid a defect. And the third is, of course, when people come off their bike, they tend to have a much more serious injury than somebody going through a pothole in a car. And I mean, that's evidenced by um, Cycling UK came up with some figures, uh, which was of 156 local authorities um, by March 2018, um, had spent a total of £43.3 million on pothole claims. Um, and on average, um, cyclists received over £10,000 uh, per successful claim. Uh, and they costs were roughly estimated by the council to be about 25 times more per cyclist than for a motorist seeking compensation arising out of a pothole. Now, that um, amount of money is indicative of the seriousness of the harm caused. And indeed, actually, the problem with highway claims is they can be quite difficult to prove and quite difficult to bring. So they tend to also have um, a level of legal costs. But either way, they're serious problems for councils, serious problems for vulnerable users um, who tend to be quite badly hurt. Yeah, but um, what we were saying earlier, um, and it's moving on to the next um, step, is the, the Section 58 defence that's open to um, councils, because obviously the figures that you were just discussing um, are successful claims, um, but highways authorities do have um, a statutory defence open to them if they do their checks correctly. Absolutely they do, and, and actually uh, they have... Uh, in the in the, the time that I've been working, become much better at evidencing that um, um, action that they take, and actually far better at, at carrying out systematic and proper inspection. So, in some ways, I mean, I, I've seen over the, the sort of course of uh, my my career, um, actually quite a significant improvement in the understanding of what maintaining a highway means and a more rigorous and orderly management of that duty which is you know overall a good thing because we want our highways to be safe and we want them to be um, readily usable by a broad range of um, different road users including not just cars but including vulnerable users um, bikes e-scooters and the like uh, but certainly um, the need both to inspect and to be able to show there's been an inspection um, has significantly improved um, so the requirement, essentially, of the local authority is to provide evidence of having carried out a systematic process of inspection. And that inspection also has to be better than just saying the road was inspected and it's signed off. Um, there has to be details of how that inspection was carried out. Was it a walking inspection? Was it a drive-by inspection? If it was a drive-by inspection, how could you show that you haven't missed things on the road? When is it done? How long does it take? And all that kind of information evidencing a regular inspection and maintenance and then action taken. So um, if, the, if there is a defect found either, as I said, that you've, you know, filled it with your bucket full of tarmac there and then or uh, and or that you've logged it properly that that's then followed through and action is taken um, and or that the road is marked off or the defect is um, highlighted so that it doesn't represent a danger to road users and that's not enough to say you can just slap some yellow paint around it and leave it that may well be part of the action taken in order to enable 
the inspector to highlight for those coming on after him or her that there is work that needs to be done so they can see where the defect is. But that won't alleviate the highway authority of um, their duty to make it safe in the meantime. That won't count as being enough of a warning, not least because if a cyclist is coming along the road and they suddenly see a yellow stripe in the pavement, or well, not on the pavement, on the, on the highway, um, you know, they, they won't necessarily be able to react. Um, and actually often... Uh, the the successful case is one where the accident has occurred at something that you know was known by the highway authority because they've put paint around it but they haven't gone on to amend it because of course the duty is something they know or ought to have known uh, was a defect so moving on um one of the problems that claimants will face, as well as having to show that there's a danger, if we've explained um, that there's a defect and that defect is of a sufficient size, is that they have to get over that hurdle and then the duty transfers, the burden of proof transfers to the defendant to show they've done what they ought to have done. Um, uh, one of the problems can be that defects can actually arise very, very quickly. So for a defendant, if they have a regular maintenance regime uh, that elides with the requirement of that standard of road and they have a paper trail showing that the work was carried out uh, and that they have carried out inspections, uh, that they've done it properly, so by walking or, or driving or whatever it may be, and that there were no defects found. The fact that shortly thereafter the vulnerable road user has an accident and there is a defect, will not get them home. Uh, because you can so often have defects that arise so very quickly um, that, that within 24 hours, there's, there's lots and lots of empirical evidence about how quickly defects can arise. Now, obviously, the more frequent the road use, the higher the grade of road, the more often the inspections, the less true that will be. But it's right to say that on the smaller country roads where there's biannual or annual inspection it can be very very difficult indeed to prove that the defect even if it's a big pothole was known or ought to have been known by the highway authority and it's also um, going back to the fact that just because there's a defect there it doesn't necessarily mean that it's dangerous to the road user either um, the, there are plenty of cases where claimants um People who've come off bikes have gone then to the local area and you've got lots of witnesses saying, oh, it's been there forever, that defect. I know that it's been there 20, 30 years. But actually, when you go and measure it and see where it is, it's actually not classified um, as an actionable defect. Yes, that's absolutely right. So an, a good example of that, for example, is the case of Melvin Griffiths, um, which is a 2015 case, which uh, essentially was about a remote mountain road and uh, there was a defect on the edge of that road but essentially um, looking at what it was looking at it in the round look at the nature of the road it was a remote road it was a mountain road um, and I think it's particularly true when you don't have edging by curb or pavement so effectively your your tarmac surface um, sort of runs away runs out into the landscape um, effectively the judge was entitled to hold uh, said the court of appeal on appeal that that defect on the edge of the mountain road wasn't a danger when you look at it um, 
uh, for cyclists cycling along that road when you look at it by road use and you look at it by the nature of the road and the place of the defect. Uh, so not only is it a defect, but it has to be a danger. Um, and, you know, the reality is there is no magic height, although we've talked about the intervention level of 40 millimetres. Um, you can, in circumstances, have something that isn't a dangerous defect either, because, as you say, it's been around for years, but actually it's too shallow or it's on the edge of the road or it's not in and of itself dangerous, or that it's quite a whopping defect, but the nature of it on a remote mountain road on the edge of that road is not in and of itself a danger. So that's a double hurdle that the claimant has to overcome uh, in order to bring home their Section 41 claim. And I mean, they are difficult claims. They're difficult things to uh, succeed on. And that's why there's, there's a lot of litigation and there's a lot of um, final hearings and jurisprudence around it because it's very often a matter of evaluating the circumstances um, of that case and, uh, and of that use and that road use at that time. Yeah, I think, as you're saying, they're difficult um, uh, cases for a, a, a claimant to win. But the one thing I would flag up um, from a cyclist point of view is if you are out on a country road and you come across something that is, you don't come off your bike as a result of it because it's a, it's quite a big uh, hole in the road, but you cycle past it. It's perhaps one to think, well, actually, I'll, when I get back, I'm going to uh, report it to fix my street, take a photograph and upload it because you might be helping somebody else out down the line um, by reporting it to the council and then being able to go out and repair it. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, not only do we want the roads to be safe, we don't want people to have to have accidents and then litigate, uh, but it also does mean uh, that from the local authorities' point of view, they don't want to have holes and defects in their roads either. And it means that it's brought to their attention um, and enables them uh, to short circuit that inspection regime and get out and mend the problems there and then and it also means uh, that they will be on notice and if it is found um, that they don't do anything and they don't respond and it is a danger uh, that that your actions will have laid a significant evidential groundwork uh, for the poor person who does have an accident uh, when they say well it was a danger and a defect and here we are the authorities should have known about it because Caroline reported it when she was out cycling last weekend <laughs> or whatever it may be. I have had a claim for um, a council and the all of the witnesses for the claimant were the local cycling club who knew about this defect and <laughs> reported it so um, yeah it, it is it's one of those things that we all do it you cycle past something and think oh i'm glad i didn't go into that well actually it might be worthwhile taking a photograph and uploading it well it's funny actually there's um um arundel street which runs down uh from the strand down to the river in london so just by work and i cycle over it twice a day it's actually a road that's on top of the hidden river fleet so there used to be a river fleet that ran down there and it's bricked over so it's one of those places where there's always a defect so quite clearly the under surface the substrate is just not good enough and there's a almost perpetual pothole that arises and there's a sinkhole and it arises and the sinkhole and i think probably on a weekly basis i do fill my hole and flag it and then you know they come and bung some tarmac in it and then next week i'm like oh it's back again flag it and it's really interesting because it's a reminder that you know there are occasions when you have a defect no matter how much someone tries to maintain it uh, they just can't get rid of it um so yeah, I think it works both ways, doesn't it? And also it gives us something to talk about when we're in the cycle cafe. Oh, did you see that one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, no. so uh, no, I think it's one of those ones that as 
that when you're out cycling, as I said, you complain about the roads, but we can actually help out by uh, putting reports in, especially on the um, the outer roads that we might cycle along. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think for all the um, uh, cases and the case law and the jurisprudence, et cetera, et cetera, you know, actually from the very earliest cases, so I think everyone at law school will have learnt about Mills and Barnsley in 1992, uh, you know, Lord Justice um, Stain talking about, as he then was, talking about uh, highways. But essentially, it, you know, it's all there. Nothing much has changed since then. Uh, essentially, you know, the highway's got to be uh, maintained. So it's, in, well, if it's in a condition where it's dangerous to traffic or pedestrians in the sense that in the ordinary course of human affairs, danger may reasonably have been anticipated from its continued use by the public. And all that one can say is the test of dangerousness is one of reasonable foresight of harm to the users of the highway and that each case will turn on its own facts. I don't think one can really say much more than that uh, when all is said and done. Um, that is the kind of uh, hallmark or the benchmark that, that both claimant and defendant work to when we're looking at these tricky cases uh, for vulnerable road users uh, when they have accidents on the highway. That's great. Thanks a lot for that, Emily. Okay, you're very welcome. Talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Wheel Life is brought to you by international law firm DAC Beechcraft and Barrister's Chambers, 39 Essex Chambers. Discover more articles, podcasts and webinars over at dacbeechcraft.com and 39essex.com.